people down and get one of these Cartoon Network jobs that, like, they just seem to be giving away to anybody that has ever made a scene. So, I... And then I think it's been the, t- the topic, a topic of conversation between us at different points in our relationship, and we went there for my buddy's dad's 80th birthday party. Um, and we spent a couple extra days, we hung out with Mari and Naomi for a little while, saw Trevor, um, didn't get to see Vanessa, sadly, but had this awesome time in LA and like hanging out with like, we both have successful friends down there. Like She's got a friend down there that's like a successful performance artist. Which that's which should be a contradiction in terms. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like an oxymoron. Yeah, but she's fucking paying the rent being a performance artist. Oh my god. Um, no, is her performance art robbing banks? No, it's very <laughs> similar to some of the ping pong oriented things that Justin was talking about. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, no, no, she, she does like, like installations with accompanying um, vocal performance. Uh, and I mean, she can do this multiple times a month in order to make it rent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, LA's a bigger city, for sure, than San Francisco. And I yeah. think that they have a pretty good deal, but I also think LA as a city is just generally friendlier to the arts right now. It's also changed a bit over time, right? I mean, like, I think LA was more of a cultural wasteland, but a lot of people have... And, and, and the Bay Area used to have a lot of different kinds of arts happening. I mean, it was the, you know, the, the epicenter of the underground comic scene for years, and yeah. it was, I mean, lots of amazing stuff has happened here, but... But it's in like a, two good bands. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Slam the Star- Family Stone. Somebody else. <laughs> six and Starship. Six, 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 right, right, right. um, <laughs> so, but but you know, a lot of a lot of people moved away from here and became too expensive to live. Yeah, and a lot of people went to L.A. Or, because or L.A. is so huge, there were still cheap yeah. parks where yeah, you could yeah. go to live. Yeah, it's weird. The, the cities have completely, one hundred percent swapped roles with yeah. regard to their attitudes towards the arts. A, a, um, a lot of it is around uh, housing prices. I mean, I think that really drives very concretely just drives the art and art scene. Yeah. I I think it's the housing crisis but I think it's also that the 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 industries for which San Francisco has kind of opened its doors and and made made it clear like San Francisco and the Bay Area in general are sucking on the tech teeth and that is a group of individuals that have little to no interest in the arts. Um, uh, You know you think about, for example, in New York, like the, the driving industries in New York being like financial industry or something like that. Yeah. And they, they, they really don't give a shit about like yeah, they, at, they, about anything, really, except for money, right? And, and you know, the tech industry the, the, the is better than that. I mean, they, I, you know, I, I know you can kind of scoff at like a lot of the stuff. Oftentimes, you know, certainly a tech indus- uh, industry business and usually worker has a lot more interest in kind of bettering the world or, you know, being interested in the arts than the average financial on Wall Street. You know, it, it's maligned as it can be. You see that in Burning Man, something like that, where there's just, you know, there's tremendous amount of like artistic, you know, energy expended. And a lot of it's coming out of, out of tech money and tech industry people. Do you think it's coming out of tech money or do you think tech money is just like, we can go to Burning Man now and then the couple people that are still that like legitimately creative well, people in the way that classically Burning Man has encouraged us. Like, well, well, both. I mean, because you know, my, my husband is, is is works at Dropbox, and you know, he moved to San Francisco. You know, went to the Art Institute. Um, you know, back in the early nineties. You know, he didn't he didn't move here for tech, but he like you know got the tech job when he was here, and and he was going to Burning Man back in you know, 94, right? And when there was no money in it. Yeah. I guess I'm thinking more about the, the sort of younger generation of yeah. like, kind of like libertarian tech yeah. people. Yeah. 
And there's a lot of that. Um, yeah, there's a lot of that. But I will say, like, you know, like, so, you know, now, um, my husband works at Dropbox. They, you know, the stuff that they do is really kind of amazing. Like, you know, have, you know, uh, their their Pride stuff during, you know, uh, during Pride is, is pretty extensive. And they, they'll bring in, like, pretty amazing speakers to kind of, their food, their cafeteria is, like, unbelievably <laughs> just amazing. And, and this actually does things like, you know. Uh, sustainability and all these it's interested in all these things that I can't imagine the equivalent in a financial institution and on Wall Street can't giving a shit about like, yeah, they, actually, it something. is different yeah yeah it's a different thing I mean you know Google you know has a lot of problems they do have that kind of thing about like you know not doing evil in the world or whatever it is um, Goldman Sachs I think I think they literally do evil yeah they're Google's um, credo is don't be evil. Don't be evil. Goldman Sachs is go forth go and do evil. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Bring forth evil into the world. Bring a lot of my donut. I don't know. So, I mean, it's, be so evil and multiply. I, I think that part of the problem is just that the tech industry is so powerful, right? I mean, it's, it, and so it ends up dominating the landscape. It's not part of a kind of more organic system of different industries that kind of coexist. And, mm. and so it, it becomes this kind of monolith that kind of bulldozes the rest of the the city, uh, and that's that's it's just going to be a problem no matter what and the industry is. The problem with that is as much on the city, yeah, the city as it is. It yeah. yeah, yeah, not taking you know, you know, not taking tax money from these co- yeah. these companies to not, let them occupy mm-hmm. uh, like just yeah. perpetually depressed part yeah. of the city. Yeah. Yeah. that really could have benefited from it. Yeah, and that's really sad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that goes back. That history goes back a ways. Like the the money um, mm-hmm. mayors. Like that goes back to Willie Brown. Yeah, like yeah, that goes sure. back to maybe Feinstein. Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's 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 acculturated here. No. Wow. You cannot get elected in San Francisco and not be in the pocket of we like came, whatever's making the the money. We came so close this last election. I mean, came so incredibly close. But mm-hmm. do you no. think there's a chance next time, or is I it a done deal? I mean, it's you know it depends on how. How riled up voters get. I mean, I but I, I think that like with every passing election, mm-hmm. there are fewer and fewer people in San Francisco yeah, that would vote for the really progressive candidate. Yeah, you know, yeah. and I think that that's that like it's mm-hmm. it's that that will signal mm-hmm. the end of having squeezed mm-hmm. the I don't even want to say creative class because people are going to think I'm talking about fucking graphic designers. Mm-hmm. Like that will be the end of artists <laughs> in San Francisco. You know, that will be the end of any actual creative person and not somebody for whom creativity is figuring out how to best light a pair of sneakers in an ad. That's a photographer, not a graphic designer. (laughs) But, but, you know, you can be, I mean, we're talking, I mean, this whole podcast is about, like, having a day job, right? Well, yeah, and and also, I just take exception to that because I am a production designer. Yeah, I know, I know. No, and seriously, I mean, and I think there's a lot of people who, this is actually the way that we live, right? So oftentimes we are you know, production designers or graphic designers or whatever that, you know, and then also make zines and, and comics and all sorts of stuff on the side. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, be a sister of perpetual indulgence and do your performance art and, and all that stuff. You're going to have a day job too. And that day job might as well be creative and make a lot of money, you know, cash in your creative abilities. I mean, that's, that's kind of the route that I, like, yeah. that's the leap that I took from, like, like washing cars to like right exactly be, clearly a good amount of what I'm saying is sour grapes and not having figured out how to parlay my own creativity into one of these lucrative jobs right like it's a little bit there's a little <laughs> of the fucking frustration of the grind of having like you know still having a fucking service industry job <laughs> and, and 
I, I always worried, worried that the danger of having a job that would be too close to my actual kind of creative work would be would exhaust me from doing that work. Um, That's always been a concern of mine too, and I I don't. The, I did briefly do stuff for advertising. Mm -hmm. I did storyboards for oh, for right. like an advert for mechanism for yeah. a little while, and it's the closest I've ever come to like to like using that muscle. Yeah, because like, it, it is a very similar muscle. It is, yeah. Um, but also, I mean, this is going to sound very woo-woo, but like, you know, creativity, much like love is a well. And like, <sighs> well, you, did you, did I don't you, think you did, will exhaust it. I, I don't think like it'll, because I mean, for me, like last year when I was doing, last year was the only year that I've made a full, like full living off of creative stuff, doing the animation. Mm -hmm. um, and the, I would, after I'd work on the animation, I would like draw a million comics because oh. it, it was like priming the pump mm -hmm. like you know that muscle was getting worked out and like, mm. thankfully like they were such great clients like they were great to work for so I wasn't like fuck this and like you know throwing my fucking mm -hmm. whack on tablet across the room yeah um, yeah, I was just like, I was like in a great space and like I'd work on that stuff and then I'd work on my stuff and it was like, it was it like I, that I showed me, other. yeah, I, it showed me like you can, these two things can exist. Like I can work commercially and I can work artistically. So, so was that, I mean, what was the situation for you? Well, the, the, the situation I think is, is different than what Fred is talking about in that I was doing both that and the restaurant stuff at the same time. So um, would yeah. like have to free up my schedule where like I would I would tell the ad agency that I can I'd be like, I can't come in I can't do nine to five but I can come in from eight to four but then because then I have to be at the restaurant by five, um, and that you know so drawing yeah drawing yeah. for eight hours and then waiting tables for like six or seven. On the subject of like doing something that's too close to your creative outlet, you teach comics. Yeah, so teaching has been a, a pretty good balance for me in the sense that I. It's about comics, but it's not making comics. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't find that it, ex it exhausts me from making my own work necessarily. Um, and in fact, it can actually inspire it because I'll see stuff and then I'll steal from my students. I'm like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I will. <laughs> no, but I'll see things and be inspired by what they're doing and then even more by like how we like tackle the, that set of problems. You know, mm -hmm. like I've gotten, I've become a better creator by being. Um, uh, by teaching, by being uh, like a mentor to students that are trying to learn the, the language of comics. And it's forced me to think more critically about how comics are made and be more conscious of, uh, about that. Um, and so that has made me better at what I do. I mean, I think it, it has to have. So like, I'm constantly like, you know, my day job is essentially like looking at a, you know, looking at a script and trying to figure out what the dramatic tension is and how to make it better, how to raise the stakes for the characters and how to, like, you know, bring in the thematic, you know, threads or whatever, and then, you know, how to do visual layouts on a page and how to create, you know, visual storytelling. And then when I get back to my own work, all those, you know, concerns are going through, the, through my head and, and generally, you know, positive and productive ways. Mm -hmm. So I used to, so I, I made my living primarily through massage therapy for many, many years, for over 20 years. I still do a little bit of it here and there because I really love it, actually. But I now have pulled back quite a bit from, from doing that because I don't really need it anymore because I'm making my, the majority of my money through teaching. Mm -hmm. um, and it really is closer to my creative work. I mean, it, it feels like, you know, part and parcel in a way that massage didn't. Mm -hmm. um, the nice thing about massage was actually the fact that it was so removed, right, that it's a completely different part of the, the brain, you know, that I was using... Um, 
you know, kind of gestalt thinking and, and like, you know, it's, it's just, I, I mean, you know, it's central in the sense of kind of using your senses to, to attack a problem and, um, you know, figure out what's going on in the body. And like, it was very, it wasn't analytical, it wasn't narrative, it was just um, a different kind of, you know, function. Um, so I, was, I, I it love sounds it. like it was visceral. Yeah, visceral is probably, yeah, that's, that's a good word. Yeah. So, so just like, um, all of that kind of, you know, going into a body and fi figuring out where the problem was and addressing that, um, very intuitive, um, and, um, it, yeah, it's completely different from the analytical and narrative fun functions that I use my brain for um, the rest of my life. Um, so I love that. It would actually get very kind of meditative and there's also this wonderful, uh, sense of how the business works where it's very, um, uh, it's very clean and very simple, right? So someone will come to me in pain or in stress or whatever, and they and I work on them for an hour, an hour and a half, and then they feel better and they give me money for it. Like, holy shit. The so, like, just such a great, like, clean thing to do in the world, right? The immediacy <laughs> of the transaction. Yeah, yeah. And you're, and you're doing a basic good thing, mm -hmm. you know, and then you're getting paid for it, right? So You're providing just, a service and you can actually see the results. Yeah, yeah. And, and get up and it's a thing that is actually a benefit. Yeah. And I, and I think I do good work in the world by teaching and by making my art. I think it's a good thing in the world, but it's, that connection is so much more complicated and like, yeah. you know, down the road, you know, than, um, than the massage, which was just very like, they come in, they're in pain, they leave, they're not so much in pain. Yeah. But now I'm making my money with that. And then I've also been able to get some, uh, just recently some art grants. Uh, and I've heard tale of this. Yeah. Well, I was always really <laughs> jealous of like Canadian artists, Canadian cartoonists who would just like get all these grants from the government. Oh time. yeah. When you, whenever you read like Indicia for a Canadian yeah. graphic novel, it's always yeah. like, I'd like to thank such and yeah. such governing body for offering yeah. me. You know, uh, Maurice, my friend Maurice Vellick is working on a, a graphic memoir right now, and he's getting money from, and it's not a lot of money he's got to, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's not like, you know, he's got to really, you know, make this work, but um, it's difficult, but he's getting money from the, the, you know, the city of Toronto, the state of Ottawa, and the, and the, the country of Canada, <laughs> which is amazing, and, and, and well, they should, because he's going to come out with this beautiful piece of work, well, it's gonna, it's gonna brilliant do. Artist. It's yeah. brilliant, right? So I mean, he, of course he should be funded, right? And yeah. of course he should come out with a book that will then turn around and make money for the entire system, right? I mean, yeah. that's gonna make booksellers money. That's gonna make, you know, distributors money, and you know, pay taxes back to the government. Can you break down to the American government how <laughs> helping artists helps the economy in general? Can you? <laughs> no, impossible. No. no. Well, I think more and more artists will be where money is made. I mean, you know. Um, in, in a kind of modern economy um, because it's something that can't be outsourced as easily. It can't be like um, turned into an algorithm as easily. So people are going to have to have, do that art. I have thought about that, and, mm -hmm. but you do have to have a culture that can appreciate that. Yes, right, and for like sure, for sure. A tremendous mm -hmm. amount of right. this country, a tremendous amount of this mm -hmm. country has no mm -hmm. aesthetic sense or appreciation mm -hmm. whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Like, and you were, and it's it's something that like a lot of people are actively benefiting from choking out of the country too, like you were talking about how schools, the schools in Denmark are are, are better funded. They they fund the arts and the humanities programs. The schools in Denmark, but it's yeah. something that like. Yeah. Oh, when when I so I remember talking to these students in Denmark that I was working with, and I'm always kind of interested in when I talk to my students because my students here at California College of the Arts they're paying a lot of money, they're putting a lot of time, money, and energy and effort into getting a master's of you know, fine arts and comics, like, holy shit, right? Um, and so I'm always interested, like, well, what do you imagine, 
you know, we have a big, robust professional practice class, and you know, and we talk a lot about this stuff. You know, what do you do with this with this degree? Like, you go off and teach. Do you kind of uh, how do you parlay this into into a, a living uh, in some way, or or not, or you know, then it be, or figure out another way to make a living, mm-hmm. like what I'm doing, teaching, and then you know, mm-hmm. your work is kind of part of that or kind of connected to it. Um, so I'm always interested in these questions, and I always talk to my students about it because I want to be, also be as transparent as possible, right? And I think it's really unethical. A lot of higher education is really unethical. When they, I went to school, you know, I went to art school for undergraduate and then graduate, and neither program, you know, did talk to us about business of art at all. Yeah. I came out of my undergraduate class without a single idea of, like, how to... I mean, I learned how to, you know, I was printmaking department. I learned how to pull a print and all these different media. I didn't learn how to create a portfolio, how to talk to a gallery, how to talk to a museum, how to, you know, do your taxes as an artist, none of that shit. And how to get an agent, nothing. So, I, you know, when we started this program, I was like, you know, it's, that shit is, you know, deeply unethical. Yeah. And, um, and we can't do that. We have to, do, you know, we have to provide as much of that as possible for our students. As um, much like actual, genuine, bona fide resources. Yeah, yeah, possible. yeah. And, 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 you know, the, the world is changing so quickly, so it's not, it's not like there's formula. But as, long, as, as much information as possible that you can give can be, you know, potentially helpful. So, you know, the professional practice class, we bring in retailer, retailers and agents and distributors and publishers and people from all over the kind of comics industry. And then who kind of explain what, you know, people who create conventions, right? People, uh, these people come in, talk to the, to the students about what they do and how they function. And so then the students come out with kind of understanding where, where they can fit themselves into this ecosystem. Um, but I didn't get any of that as a student at all. Um, but so, but I, I was, when I was talking to these students in Denmark about that, like, what do you imagine, like, you're going to do with, you know, with this degree? And, like, what do you, you know? Uh, and one of, I remember one of the students saying, like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I'm ever going to make comics. I just find this really fascinating. It's really cool to learn. <laughs> I was like, oh, right. You're in a country that they pay you to go to school. Yeah. Oh, Oh right, that's the difference. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> literally, there, pay you. There's not home. that like feeling of like, okay, so when we throw you out into that cold, cruel yeah. world, and you have there, not no debt on you, like, <laughs> what are you going to do? Right. That is so <laughs> completely different. Yeah, it's here. really different. Um, and there is, I mean, you know, some of these Danish professors and and people will say also that there's a kind of remarkable drive to Americans. Um, that it can be a little bit like the well, yeah, yeah. because you'll end up fucking yeah, 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 homeless. Yeah, sure, yeah sure, the sure, drive, sure. the drive sure. is to avoid living in the gutter. You know, they, they talk about how because because in Denmark it was considered like the happiest place on earth. You know, they did this happiness quotient. So, oh yeah, yeah, with so an umlaut, and then Denmark with with an umlaut. Yeah, happiness with an umlaut. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> there's at least one umlaut in there. So. Um, but they. But I remember talking to some Danes who were like, well, you have to think about how happiness is considered differently culturally, right. where for them, like, if you go to a, you know, average, you know, set of, you know, grade school, grade schools in the United States, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like, you know, I want to be president. I want to be an astronaut. You know, knowing that 0.000000001% of you are actually going to wind up president or astronaut. Mm-hmm. Whereas, um, but you're, you're expected to kind of shoot for the moon yeah. and like have these big, Ambitions and ideals is the American dream, and like you try, you try, and then you fail, and you pick yourself back up again, and you try again, and you launch yourself again at some some scheme. Whereas in Denmark, you're it's like I want to grow up and you know have a decent job, have two point four children, and you know have a nice 
place to live in. Yeah. You know? and, and it's completely achievable. Because... And eventually be an object lesson in national happiness. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it's contentment more than... Ha- than the, it's more con- the way we would think of contentment as opposed to, like, happiness. Well, I think know? there is something about American culture that forces you... That, that makes people think that, like, ultimate happiness and success is always just around the corner. Yes. Where, like... And you it's going to be big and cathartic and, like, massive. Yes. Like, not just, like... And it's it's also how they keep people, the, the poor, being poor has been demonized and villainized mm-hmm. by, by, even amongst poor people. Mm-hmm. It's it's by convincing poor people that, like, no, you're just there but for the grace of God. Yeah, right. You know? Right. Like, you, right. you, one day, it's still possible for you to, like... Yeah. Make these millions. It's it's not it's yeah. not out of the question for you to be an astronaut, even though you're 45. <laughs> it's it's you're... funny that you mentioned like the happiness versus contentment yeah. or happiness and contentment. Yeah. Like uh, last week, I was talking to my sister, and I was just like, you know, October marks 20 years since I moved to the Bay Area. When I moved to the Bay Area, you know, I was a 26 year old dude. I had two cats. I was engaged to the woman I loved. You know, I had a nine year old car, and I was starting my career. Now my cats are dead and I'm divorced and I'm driving a 22-year-old car. Yeah, but in all fairness, the car with which you moved to the Bay Area would be 31 years. <laughs> that that is so true. You're, you're up it's there. It's your new car. I, yeah. I, I, I said that to my sister and she's like, are you okay? And I'm just like, oh no, I'm fine. And I think it's funny. And I'm like, trust me, I'm very happy with my life. And then I was like, I'm not content. But I'm very happy. Oh, that's and like flipping it. So like, yeah. Oh, interesting. And that's just dumb. I should be happy and content. All right, I'm done. <laughs> that's no. That's that's really interesting. Whereas in because I feel like I, I I gotta keep yeah. striving. Like yeah, right. I haven't got there yet. I don't know what the fuck there is. Yeah, right. For me, it's not like this money thing mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. I just know that whatever that is, I have to keep striving for. But I, I feel like my ambition, I try to, at least to try to kind of, and I don't know if it's conscious or unconscious or whatever, so, um, but it, my ambition is one step ahead of where I am. So, like, I remember first making, making my first comic and being like, okay, I just want to make a comic. Like, I yeah. can, then I can be like, because I was 29 when I made my first comic. I, and, I believe I met you around hmm, the time yeah. you made, made your first, it was True yeah. Travel Tales, yeah. right? No, it was uh, right before that I did this uh, a Sacred Text, which was... okay. So I, 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 I was, because I was compulsively traveling everywhere, kind of running away from my responsibilities, and I, I was in, I was in, uh, in uh, the museum outside of Jerusalem with the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah. I was like blown away by the Dead Sea Scrolls. I love that shit. And I sat down in a, in a um, cafe in West Jerusalem um, and watching all the hot military men with their submachine guns. Which kind of, like, like, this is Strangely found. Right, exactly. Um, and I wrote this script, and then I, Turned into a 40 page, forty-eight page comic that got a Zarek, and that kind of made me do this, right? So, um, but the whole time I was like, you know, it's it's and it's a terrible piece in a lot of ways, but most ways. Um, but it made me like, okay, I was like, if I can just get one comic done, then I'll feel like I've done the thing that I was I've always said my entire life I would do, which is make comics. And if I was ever going to actually do that, because I've said my, you know, essentially a, a version of a midlife crisis. I was twenty-nine and hadn't made a comic yet, even though I said I was going to make comics. So, okay, if I could just make one comic, then I've achieved that goal, and I can then decide, I can decide if I, I never want to do one again. That's fine. Yeah. I've made my one comic. So I did, and then I was like, okay, I did it. It's not so bad experience, and um, now I want to make a comic series. If I can just do that one comic series, and I'll be done. You know, so I did two travel tales, um, and then just kind of, you know, one step 
beyond. It's right? Where incremental. Yeah. Yes. All right. So now the issues of true travel, two true travel tales. <laughs> did you wind up doing total? I did four like uh, printed issues, and then I did a bunch of mini comics and shorter pieces. That's a really good run. Thank you. I was yeah. I actually got into Diamond Catalog when it was still possible to do that. Wow. Uh, which is not possible anymore. And you also published them within like a couple of years' time, right? Yeah, yeah. Because I yeah. got like four issues of Black Sheep over the course of yeah. sixteen years. <laughs> yeah. I, so I was, you're yeah. killing it. Yeah. Well, I was. I mean, I was trying to get one a new issue for every convention season. Right? Okay. So it was you know, kind of per year, uh, and then I did the uh, gate. Porn series, Hard to Swallow, with Dave Davenport, and we did one a year as well. Okay. So that was another kind of, you know, uh, series, basically. How, how many of those did you... We did four of those, and we upped the, the count, the number. Um, so we did 48 pages, and then with, uh, 50, eight, <laughs> add eight. Okay. <laughs> each, each one of those numbers, right? So, well, um, <laughs> geez, you're at a table of three... How, let, here's a math equation for you. How long will it take for three cartoonists to figure add out. Right, eight, eight to, to the yeah. previous number basically, that we've already forgotten? Yeah, and, and basically we don't have a podcast long enough for that, so that's, that's fun. <laughs> um, but, no, but I feel like, you know, if it is a kind of... In term, at least for me, in my sense of happiness, like having my ambition not be too far ahead of where I am, mm -hmm. but also not be, so be attainable and kind of be, you know, step-like, right? Mm -hmm. So like, so now I want to complete a graphic novel. I still have never completed my own graphic novel, right? That's like my next step, right? Um, and it seems achievable maybe by the time I'm 50, so. So you think happiness is inextricably tied to the idea of still having something to accomplish? Oh, that's interesting. Because um, it sounds like that's really the happiness is in yeah. the, the, the setting of the next goal. Right, right. And then the contentment is mm -hmm. in the, the mm -hmm. making the process and tailoring your life to, yeah. to like try to achieve that goal. I think there's different kinds of happiness for me. Like I, if I was only producing, like I know I'm, I'm never going to be a Robert Crumb, right? Because mm -hmm. like I don't want to lock myself into a basement and only produce because that's not going to make me happy ultimately. I'm t I like people too much. I was about to say, you also, you like yourself and you like other people. I do. So. Yeah. Whereas which, to me, which is that, which you, is you a crippling disability. You described that lifestyle on a swoon kind of like, well, it's a crippling, it's a crippling disability for someone who wants to actually produce a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Because I'll never be Robert Crumb because I, I don't want to, I mean, I remember when he came through San Francisco and he gave his talk around the, 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 the Bible book, right? Um, to Genesis, right? Yeah. And, and someone asked him, what was it like to be a genius? And he was like, ah, you know, he's such a misanthrope. He's like, ah, I'm not a genius. Nobody's a genius. I'm fine. I'm a fucking genius. But it's, you know, because I hate people and I, and I, and I have, you know, severe mental illness and all I can do is just draw. So of course I got good at it. Oh, right. I, I remember when when the Crumb documentary came out, yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm never going to be yeah. a, a quote-unquote great cartoonist because yeah. I'm like, I actually kind of like people. Yeah, I love and this was, this is when I thought, and this is yeah. when I was at the height of my yeah. misanthropy. Misanthropy. Yeah. Misanthropy. Misanthropy, yeah. I'll just, I'll just record a drop. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's going to be like all like stereo. <laughs> but the height of my... <laughs> but no, I, I guess it's uh, it's actually a balancing act, I think, for me, because I because I don't want that life, because right. I know that would make me unhappy, ultimately, or maybe cut off my ear like Van Gogh, right? And I, I would love to be able to produce like Van Gogh or Osama Tezuka, but Tezuka had like three nervous breakdowns and never saw his children, right? Yeah, so see. I don't want to be him, actually. I, I don't think Tezuka wanted that either. 
Like I think that was the that's that was yeah. the system that he was working in. I don't think he he, cre- he helped create that system, that bastard. Like I mean, it's it's, it's modeled on him. It's modeled on him. Like okay. the studio system was actually he created that shit. So that was something like I remember like reading about manga artists and being like, hey, "That's the way to be." But like I just I just couldn't. No, I don't no, have no. that. I just don't have that in me. And, and it's also part of like the masochism is also tied into sadism around the, in that culture where where the the editors there's this whole process of canning called canning where the editors will literally kidnap a, an, an artist and basically hold them hostage in a in a hotel and get rid of all of their like communication with the outside world and just lock the door and and until they finish their pages. It's fucked up that there's a name for that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That that's not just that it's no, not no. just called kidnapping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that it's a it's a it's a common enough it's, practice. It's a legal that defense. they're like, oh, you can, mean you oh, cans. you want to can Satoshi yeah. Kon? Yeah. 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 yeah, that's yeah. fine. We'll just can them. Yeah, we'll just. Your Honor, let me get the canning <laughs> squad on on speed dial. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have them here in an hour and, and, and a half. Just, it used to literally like climb out the window at times, like and try to get. I mean, it was it's it's for real. Yeah. Yeah. But but I, I I would say the also the other extreme of it, like if I never produced anything again, like because there's definitely times when I'm like, what if I just like came home from work and like just watched Netflix and did nothing else, like and read comics and didn't try to make them and like had no emissions around producing anything, like would wouldn't couldn't I just be? It would certainly be easier life. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't be happy, actually. Like, that would make me feel unhappy. It just seems inconceivable in some deep way. Are there ever days where you come home from teaching mm-hmm. and actually do that? Uh, just do nothing? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you both know a lot about Netflix series, so I'm sure that there's been some so contemporary I, Netflix series. Yeah, 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 I've just yeah, been yeah. watching Friends and Designing Women on repeat. <laughs> um, I, I, Man, you and your <laughs> fucking thing for Delta Bird. <laughs> I do, I do, I well, do I think that, <laughs> so I, I, I will say that part of, part of this is, as justification is that I, I think, you know, consuming great, you know, really good narratives is part of creating them, right? Sure. So like, Absolutely. so I get inspired in the same way and similar to, you know, I am inspired by teaching to make, and to make my own work. I'm also inspired by watching really cool shit, right? Because then I, you know, um, so that's, you know, I can kind of, you know, wrap, that gets wrapped up, right? In, in itself. But, um... I basically work, I don't take days off. Uh, it doesn't mean I work all day, you know. But so, you work for a couple hours a day, even least, when you don't have any actual, yeah. like even yeah. when you don't have any teaching or massage yeah. commitments. Yeah. It's, it's weird when that, it feels that working week melts away, yeah. where it's just like there's, there's it's just, just con- time. It's just, just time. Continuum, yeah. The idea of having like, the, like normal people week of like working, you know, these kind of consistent blocks of time and then having two days off at the end of it, like... I've never taken like two days in a row off, like where I don't do any work. Is like that's literally my mind can't compute. The only time when I, I do that is when I travel. When, yeah, when I'm traveling, that I can allow myself to do that. But at home, I I, I don't. I can't. Yeah, it's, it's but actually, traveling that is actually the job too. Is to not do yes. this other crap. It's to yeah. have the experience. Yes, it's to actually be in the environment that you're in and have the have lived the life that you're living in those places. Yes, yeah. and that those show up in my work then. Yeah. That's the other thing that uh, people, the people who are just chained in their basement, they don't. I mean, what kind of work are they producing? Right. They're not. I mean, I do not put Crumb on a pedestal the way I used to, mm-hmm. but I I think that you know his his contribution to the culture and to the medium is, is inarguable. Yeah, yeah. And he did live that shut in life. Yeah. Yeah, he did. And yeah. I think that. I mean, obviously, yeah. it's it's a special case, and it takes a a, a, a specially fertile imagination mm-hmm. to live like that. Yeah, and Tezuka, like I don't understand how I still don't understand Tezuka, right? Like, 
Uh, I don't still understand how Tezuka managed to. He spent his entire life making comics and um, and animation, but then his the, the stuff he was making stories about were incredibly well researched. Like you would, you know, M.W.'s got the main characters of the Catholic priest, and he knows his fucking shit about Catholicism, mm-hmm. and then he created Buddha, which is you know the biography of the Buddha, and and he knows his shit about Buddhism. Like I mean, he did some serious theological studies to, so and, and he had thoughts about them, like deep thoughts about them. So I don't understand how. Like, that research alone would have taken me all the time. Like, I can't imagine, like, how, how is there hours in the day to do that research, think about it, and come up with interesting thoughts about it, yeah. and then make it? I mean, I, it's, it's completely bizarre to me. But I think, but I think there, you also see people who are victims of the, the shut-in creating the work. Like, I want to say, um, uh, Joe Matt or something like that, you know, where it's like, okay, endless, you know, <laughs> stories of, about him masturbating, right? Yeah. Like, okay, like, he's just sitting around masturbating. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I Which don't care at some point. I just, such a, such a, just overly literal, like, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, don't get me wrong, that's powerful and beautiful in a certain way, and, like, there should always be people making work about masturbation, absolutely. But, like, but, like, I just, it just, like, memoir where nothing happens because yeah. they don't have anything happening in their life, like, I, I can only do that for so long. Like, I just can't. I can't, you know, Harvey P. Carr, like, did it, and can we just be done with it? Yeah. Um, so, um, getting back to work. So, mm-hmm. you are, you work at CCA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the, what's the... Um, uh, MFA and Comics program. And, yes. then, and I also teach in, in some of their undergraduate stuff, too, in that writing okay. department. And how long have you been doing that? Uh, eight years. Around. And then I got, I've gotten other teaching gigs, right? So, I got a Fulbright scholarship, or the Fulbright... Uh, to go to um, teach American comics history in Czech Republic. Uh, I think I was the first Fulbright scholar of comics. The academic world is now finally open to comics. It's so new that nobody knows, nobody's like doing this yet, like kind of figuring that, that out. So I'm like, okay, like this is, this is a perk I can, I can work with. And so I don't think any cartoonist has thought to apply for a Fulbright. I know that uh, Anne Elizabeth Moore, she did a, um, a Fulbright to go teach uh, girls in Cambodia and Phnom Penh how to do zines. So she got one a, a number of years ago, but like, I, I'm, I think I'm the first Fulbright scholar in the sense of being an, um, a professor that goes to teach in, a, in an institution in another country. I mean, and it fell in my lap. Like, I mean, one of my one of the other professors at CCA, she had done a Fulbright in Brno, which is the second largest city in Czech Republic, at this one university, Masaryk. And, and she had gone to the people at Masaryk and was like, hey, the next big thing in the literary scene for in America is graphic novels. You should have someone come over on, on a Fulbright to talk about graphic novels in the American and English Studies Department. And they were like, okay. She said, I'll go find one for you. And she went to me <laughs> and she said, do you want to live in the, in the Czech Republic for a semester? And I was like, yeah. So I applied, but like it was kind of rigged in the sense that like the school already wanted me. They wrote a letter of recommendation. They were she already had to up with the pump for you. And, she, and they, they, you know, that school was already, you know, absolutely tied in with the Fulbright Association in the, in, in the country. Like, and, and I wrote, you know, I bust on my ass to do a good, you know, application for it. But, but um, yeah, it all kind of landed in place. And, again, I think I'm the first person to do that with comics, which is just, like, that kind of possibility is more open now than it ever yeah. has been. And then I've been teaching over in Denmark also at this comic school there. Um, and then no, do, do I, I remember the around. Czechoslovakia. Like I remember um, when you when yeah. you went out there. When when did uh, um, your teaching in Denmark begin? That began um, 
I had met those guys at Ape, the, the final years of Ape. Uh, alternate press expo here in no, San Francisco. The, the final years of April? No, the, no, final the final ones. Are you talking about the guys from Dongari? Uh, from, they're, they're from uh, Denmark, from Viborg. Yeah, and then I just kind of stayed in touch with them, and then I was like, you know what, I want to go teach there, so I just reached out. And, and they, again, they have money, education and arts money in, in Scandinavia, so they they fly in professors to to teach, you know, a week or so, or whatever it is, and a specific class at comics, you know, um, you know, story structure or um, comics history or something like that. So I did uh, uh, a gig with them for two weeks, and then um, I'm going to go back and do another one with them. Uh, so that, and and get a little bit of an artist residency in between, which is nice. So it's in the middle of nowhere. It's like five hours from Copenhagen, and it's an hour from anyone, any guy in Scruff. So like I can actually get some work done. <laughs> you know, I got. I mean, that's this is okay. You're talking about this balancing act, right? Like I do like to live my life in a hedonistic yes. way and, and enjoy myself. So, so like that gets in the way as much as anything else. And I, I I'm excited to really remove myself and be uh, and have more seclusion. This is like a monastic retreat for you. I have taught. That's exactly. I have these kind of monk fantasies. Well, I have two different kinds of monk fantasies, <laughs> but the monk fantasy in which I do nothing except for like. Contemplate, you know, the you know the, the universe and make comics, yeah. Uh, and I need to have that kind of retreat. That's the other thing. I think artist residencies are also now open to comics and what yeah. they never were before. So one of my teacher, one of the people I teach with, Melanie Gilman, they have been at this like residency for quite a while. And like, I said, I don't know, like, somewhere in Midwest. I'm blanking right now, hmm. but like, you know, this stuff is possible for cartoonists now. And then even right right here in San Francisco, there's money for the arts. We're talking about you know San Francisco being difficult, but we also there's also a hotel tax in San Francisco, which gives tremendous amounts of money to the Arts Commission, and they do an individual artist grant every year. And a friend of mine who's a poet was like, "Why aren't you applying for that?" And I was like, "I didn't even know it existed," and I applied and I got it. So I have an artist grant from the city. And is this? Uh, asking for a friend is this specifically if you live in San Francisco or is it a yeah, Bay Area? Yeah, fuck. Yeah. Right. Can I use but, your address? But I'm sure. <laughs> but I'm sure that I'm sure that Oakland has one too. They, I don't. And in fact, know. I know someone. Who, I remember someone who got one. Okay, it was for less money. Um, of course, it's Oakland. Yeah, yeah it's Oakland. Right. you're right. Because um, San Francisco, to be honest, it was fifteen thousand dollars. Jeez. Yeah, but I think Oakland was more like. Five thousand or something. I'm not sure that, but like, yeah, I know it's, it's and it's like holy shit. And then there's public art money for other things. So I just I just applied for this like poster, public poster thing along Market Street for next year. It's the 50th anniversary of Pride, so they want to get some art, local artists to do um, posters in the, in the bus kiosks along Market Street. Hmm. And, and you you applied that. or you I applied for it and okay. I got it. Oh, you got it. Okay, congratulations. I just got it today, actually. Oh, awesome! Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. So that's, I mean, that was the teachings enough to kind of, yeah, yeah, keep me going. And and you have and you still have your your uh, uh, massage practice. I mean, it's, I've pulled back small. quite so much now that it's like kind of you know I'll do a couple of weeks, but that's about it. Because I I feel like when Not I sure first week. met you, like that was I think that was the way you were making. Oh yeah, no, that I would do three or four a day. And you were worried. I remember you said you were concerned because like it's very physically taxing to yeah. do. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, and I remember I do. I'm just mm-hmm. yeah, reaching back through my boost-soaked brain. Um, you, you, I, I recall you at some point hatching a plan for what you were going 
like how you were going to live your life and how you were going to make a living mm-hmm. when you're not mm-hmm. any longer able to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And essentially I kind of fell into it. Um, I, and I got lucky because like, again, like my, my body can't take, I can't do four massages a day yeah. anymore. I just can't do it. I mean, I'm strong enough. I'm, I have a, um, and I keep on getting better with, with more experience as a massage therapist, but I don't have the stamina. Yeah. You know, so I just, I can't. So I, I got lucky that the teaching kind of fell in my lap, came along when I did. Uh, and then these, you know, these grant, I'm kind of learning bit, bit by bit how to work the system in terms of other ways, right? Like how to get art grants and how to, and again, this is stuff that like other, other kinds of artists, I've been all over, all over the shit for, for eons, right? I mean, if you're a sculptor, right, you know that, okay, you're not going to, you know, there's very little chance you're going to actually make your money, you know, make a living simply selling the sculptures that you make. Mm-hmm. Instead, you get arts grants and you get teaching gigs and you get residencies and you, do, you play the game of, you know, but that was always denied, you know, cart- a cartoonist never mm-hmm. had that option. But now we do, actually. Yeah, there, there definitely is... Um... Uh, a certain validity that's been lent yeah. to comics yeah. that was not there. Yeah, yeah. Ten years ago, yeah. fifteen years ago. Yeah, absolutely. And it's you know it's still I mean you know it's still fraught. I mean there's still going to be residencies and grants and stuff that won't get comics at all. But there's also so few of us that know about how to do this. Like, I I, I do think like one of the best things we could do would be to have a, a database of like comics friendly grants, residencies, um, you know, teaching programs, you know scholarships, all that kind of stuff. Like, if we can get, like, a database of that stuff, that would be amazing. But I'm, I'm you know, still feel like I'm scrambling, kind of figuring it out yeah. as I go along. But but it's, it's, there's stuff out there. Yeah. Yeah, I remember when I was talking to, um, I, like, I talked to you mm-hmm. last, I think, last year mm-hmm. this time when I got back from SPX yeah. and Staple, and I'm just like, I can't fucking do this shit anymore. Yeah, 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 <laughs> like, yeah, I can't yeah. do this, like, this mini-comic, um, mm-hmm. like, trade show, mm-hmm. like, cycle over yeah. and over again I was talking to you about how to get off of it and I was talking to Mari about how to mm-hmm. get off of it and she was just like yeah you know here's the other thing that people don't think about like there's the lecture circuit mm-hmm. that's like you know mm-hmm. there's your book sales and then there's like yeah. the lecture thing and yeah. like anyway. yeah you can I mean that's you know you, can, you know, various institutions will, will fly you in and pay you some money to I mean about. I'm gonna have to be on a boatload of like um What's what's the shit that you take for ADHD? I'm so scattered I can't even remember. Oh, what it's Ritalin. Called. Yeah, I'll have to be on like you know, <laughs> a drip of Ritalin to sure. be able to do a, a, a lecture. Yeah. But... So, so all booty bumps. Booty bumps. Wait, so so Jeff, I mean Jeff, have you? I'm doing my my, my segue. So how about your booty bumps? No, uh, what um? Oh, I got. I haven't done a booty bump in years. Booty bump. <laughs> So, I mean, are you, would you be interested in doing, like, lectures? Like, are you, you came in a lecture in my class once. Yeah, and I, I look back on that, and I, I feel like, I've, I actually feel like it was a real missed opportunity for me to, I, I don't think I, I don't think I brought a very strong game to that lecture. Um, I feel like I if, if I, what's up? I didn't remember, I remember it being... I think the class was kind of lame, if I remember. Well, the one kid fell asleep as soon as the lights went out from my side for my slide, my slide presentation, which was a little, um, sorry, a little, de- a little demoralizing. When that was going on, I was on such a everything you need to know about how to draw comics is in how to draw comics the Marvel way kind of oh, kick, right, right, and right, was right. kind of trying to break everything down like Jabushima and Stan Lee style for that presentation. And I felt once I came out and saw that the the work that some of the students were making um, 
I felt like it, it just seemed really basic huh. and didn't address a lot of the kind of socio-political concerns that mm-hmm. a lot of the people studying that at the MFA level would, yeah, be, right. would want addressed as well. Right. So I think that if I, if I came back to do it again, it would be a little bit more about how it fit into the culture, mm-hmm. a little bit more about like the, the sort of what one has to invest personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, you know, maybe I could find some way to make the specifics of my experience making comics. Maybe they, that, that I could find some way to make that universal or at least... It's interesting that you mentioned Robert Crumb and misanthropy mm-hmm. and being a shut-in before mm-hmm. because so much of my experience and ethos of making mm-hmm. comics is based on so much of that. Yeah, right. And so much of comics in general, um, alternative comics in particular is based on misanthropic mm-hmm. shut-ins, you know? And mm-hmm. growing up in the 90s, mm-hmm. late 80s and early 90s with with creators like like Pete Bag and Evan Dorkin yeah. and, and like even early Dan Klaus was mm-hmm. just so redolent of his misanthropy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, it's hard for me to think of anything to bring to a lecture circuit mm-hmm. coming from that sort of, I detest people. <laughs> and so this is why you should listen to how I make comics. But but that's also I mean I, you're I, all trash. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody in this room disgusts me. <laughs> this is how I channel that into my work. Right. All right, boys and girls. First of all, turn your seats around. I'm tired of looking at your monkey faces. All right, here's what I gotta say. Uh, I'm, so I would say yes. The the comics, you know, comics has completely changed where where it is in the culture, and those are no longer the heroes. I know, which is really in kind fact, of interesting. They're, they're, in, in a lot of ways, they're the villains. The villains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but a, I think that's interesting, right? Like, I mean, especially in like a comics history class, I think it's really like people have to grapple with that because some of the best work is being made for so long is being made by people like that, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, undeniably, at the quality level, undeniably high, right, for a lot of this stuff. Um, but I but I agree that the the kind of current heroes in comics are, don't come from that mold. You know, it's, I don't know, Noel Stevenson and, like, you know, who's not doing that, is not being a, a misanthrope. Um, or, I don't know, who's, who's hot right now, but, like... My conception of what's good in the medium is still... Very much informed by those artists. Yeah. And I only see a handful of, of contemporary cartoonists mm-hmm. aspiring to the la- that level of craft. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting that those cartoonists are, for me, uh, Jillian Tamaki and Eleanor Davis. Mm-hmm. And I think... Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Right? The, those are the big guns for this generation but, of cartoonists. Yeah. For for that kind of for that kind of illustrative craft. Yes. Yeah. And I don't I don't think that it's or, they're, they're they're making work in the same vein, but I think that they're the no, only no, ones no. who or, or Emma Ferris. I mean, uh, my favorite thing is monsters. Holy shit. Or um uh, I mean it's it's interesting. It's a you know like mm. <laughs> I, I, I I'm, I'm familiar. I haven't I haven't seen it, so I can't yeah. say. It's, it's I, I've read Jillian Tamaki yeah. and Eleanor Davis's stuff, yeah. and it's like so. It's not it's not that thing. It's not that '90s alternative misanthropic right. thing, right. but it's this work that is intensely personal mm-hmm. and immaculately mm-hmm. put yeah, together, and and grounded in a in a in a fundamental grasp of comics readability yeah. that like you find. Mm-hmm. across the board in good comics and I'm not talking about like necessarily something that is is that it's it's subject matter matches the ambition of its execution mm-hmm. I guess my favorite thing is monsters is compelling mm-hmm. but it's like it's not good comics in the way saying, yeah. that like mm-hmm. 
Casper the Friendly Ghost comics <laughs> from the from the late fifties yeah, are right. good comics. Right, right, like right. where it's not clear, John, readable. John Stanley's Little Lulu. Yeah, right. or you know Carl Barks mm-hmm. or or Tintin. Yeah. You know, it's not that kind of like. But it's not trying to be. To be fair, it's no. I but it, it's there's still something so stilted about it, and something yeah. that that makes me feel like, and maybe it's just it's it's a different way of interacting with the medium. That generationally, I'm out of touch from. So, but so I think I've to to like put it in a in a context that I enjoy. Like so, the 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 way um, Davis and Tamaki go about comics mm-hmm. is like the way Lou Reed went about music, where he's just like the best thing you can have in a band is two guitars, bass, drum. It's four on the floor comics, mm-hmm. and like I have not read. Um, um, Emil Ferris's work, but it doesn't sound like it's got that four on the floor. No, no, no. She, she comes out of being an illustrator, and it was just part of it. Like she okay. wasn't like a comics person. So, what do you think about uh, Linda Berry? Because I think in a lot of ways, Linda Berry is the crux. She and Matt Greeny came in together, right, into comics, and and she's you know made some of the best comics ever, you know, like. But she also has broken every single fucking rule of making comics, and a lot of her stuff makes my teeth hurt. So, because it's so, like, and she's, it's a different kind of aesthetic. It's so raw. It's so raw, and it's so, like, collagey and art going in any way it wants to, and and just, like, not interested in foreign floor half the time. She can do it when she wants to, but she doesn't want to all the time. And and I think her kind of ethos ends up inspiring a lot of the more... You know, experimental kind of you know uh, stuff that's coming out from all different you know places of the. I don't. I don't think it would be an exaggeration to. I don't think her influence, particularly on contemporary cartoonists, can be overstated. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think she's, she's the one she's, who won. She's, she's huge. Yeah. Do you, yeah, do you think that she's board. responsible for um, animals sitting in chairs drinking hot beverages? I was, <laughs> I was just. I was gonna say like. <laughs> I'm I'm pretty lukewarm on a lot of her work. I think some of it's really good. Yeah, no, I feel the same way. Like some of it, like hundred hundred demons is yeah, hundred demons is the exemplary. Oh my god, it's fucking amazing. But it took her her whole career to get to a hundred demons. You know, and then she went off. She went off somewhere else. Yeah, that so. And, and again, and stuff for me that's unreadable. I also think but other people love it to pieces. Like other people love where she goes. Yeah, and but I think that there's so I think an interesting subject for for uh, a, a lecture at this point would be maybe subject matter versus mm. technical execution, and I, I don't know. I mean, not specific. That sounds really dry when I say it like that. But I do think that there there is something in the work of. Um, her and uh, Ellen Forney, mm-hmm. although I think Ellen Forney's a better cartoonist than, than Linda Barry is. Just like it's more of a standard. It's more of a right. comic. It's yeah. more comic booky. Yeah, right, right. But um, I think there there are cartoonists like that who work in a in a in a mostly autobiographical vein and who have. I think there are a lot of artists whose like subject matter has has helped their audience mm-hmm. more than their. The ability to technically execute good comics. I would. I would also. Sorry. And I don't. I don't invalidate that. Right. Right. Um, I'm sorry. What yeah. were you going to say? Oh, I would say that. Um, I know. I, I agree with you. And I would say that identity also plays into this, right? Where like the the because representation and identity is now like absolutely for, first and for, yeah. before at the forefront now of, of a lot of what's kind of popular and and working well in the industry, and. 
and that, and you know, in terms of you know, so you're talking about subject matter. It's it's also about kind of identity and representation. Yes. Right? Yeah. Um, and I don't. And I I'm obviously, at, I I don't I don't begrudge anybody that. It's 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 because we were we were talking earlier about how. This last the the Ignats got swept by queer books, mm-hmm. and I remember you know when I was going oh, to, yeah. to, to the SB, to SBX regularly way back when, and I was doing all these queer comics, and they would not Ignats wouldn't touch me with a ten foot pole, and I came out with no straight lines for decades of queer comics, which not to blow smoke at my own ass, but it was fucking you know groundbreaking, stunning book, and it's you know and it I didn't get a, even an Ignats nomination, which is like. Fucking serious, like I mean, that, I mean, you know, and now you know the the books winning are absolutely queer. Yeah, very very queer. Yeah, the the, the year when we did SPX last year, mm-hmm. like I mean, we couldn't get arrested because yeah. we're just like a couple of like like middle aged straight dudes. Yeah, like and like yeah. there's nothing like terribly like representational. We're like we're not the vanguard of middle aged and straightness. <laughs> like we're not like carrying that flag to the top of the mountain. <laughs> But like we were just like that. That, that was that was not like yeah. They, there was there was middle aged espadine. <laughs> there is like yeah. There is there is there is so little interest in like what we were peddling, right. and like it's it's awesome that like you know it's evolved in that direction. But mm-hmm. that's fucked up that you did that and like you couldn't get a nomination. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know whatever. Um, but I. But I, I do, you know, so I think identity representation is really important right now. But it's also, like, of course it's going to be important right now, right? We're, we're in that first generation where, where these these uh, doors are being broken open. Mm-hmm. It's also right. as a reaction to, like, yeah. what's going on in the corridors of power, right? Oh, right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, because comics are always going to be in, always going to be kind of underground art and kind of in opposition to dominant power stuff. And that was, before, that was grumpy you know, white straight guys, you know, kind of uh, bemoaning their lives and masturbating a lot. And now it's, um, now it's like, and now, know, now it's people we're, of color. Now we're in the establishment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but I'm, I'm just masturbating like, constantly in my office in City Hall, <laughs> where I make decisions that affect millions of people. Well, I will say, I mean, like, you know, if anyone making comics, unless you're Jack Chicks, right, you're going to be like, you're not going to be a fucking Trump you know, worshiper or whatever, like, so, you know, I, th- I think we're all allies in the sense that we're not, you know, interested in this, you know, the dominant power right now, and... Mm, no, there is, I mean, there is that element. Yeah, I guess Frank Miller. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's... I mean, not even just him, but, I mean, who's... That's true, all the, what am I saying, all the mainstream... And, and that's, you know, that's and mainstream yeah. editorial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's one thing. I'm mean, kind of you know looping, I guess, back to another previous mm-hmm. idea. But like, you know, the difference between making your living with comics as opposed to kind of doing, you know, making your living in some other way and making comics that you want to make and really right. on your own terms. You know, I think about um, friends of mine who do, who do make their living with comics, right? And part of me is jealous of them and wants to be that, but then also part of me does not want to be that, right? And I think about like Marika Tamaki who deals with all sorts of stupid shit online or like horrible like god like i don't i don't get that and it's because i'm not trying to do i'm not doing an x-men book right um or cena grace or like friends of mine who just get shat on like on Mm. twitter like oh my god like what a nightmare um 
But you got to play the game to a certain extent. I was gonna say, to what extent do you think you have to you have to wade into those fucking murky social media waters to be a successful creator? And right. is that the chief difference between a full time comics professional and somebody? Yeah. Are there are there people who are like professionals who are like, no, I don't I don't do any of that stuff. Like I I, I abstain I, from yeah. like engagement. I, I think the ones that are smart you have smartest about it have very very good boundaries right very yeah. they're very good at compartmentalization they're very good at boundaries but it can sneak in on you you know uh, whether you want it or not right i mean you know that can affect your book sales and that can you know yeah uh, that can that can, and then marvel or dc will turn against you if you know you know if you're seen to be alienating the yeah. the, the, the fucking the, 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 the xenophobic white dudes yeah if, if, you, if you alienate audience. straight white dudes too much like mm-hmm. Then eventually DC or Marvel will turn against you, all right? If you're seen as alienating them. Yeah, but in one more generation, they're not going to be the majority of sales. So that's, that's going to be interesting. That's <laughs> gonna, no, they, it's a really good point. Yeah. Well, once the kids who grow up on Steven Universe and She-Ra, like once they are like making comics and they're like the, and also just the the core of the kind of fandom, it's going to be really different. So okay, so the, but but the question is for for our purposes is when does that core of, of Mainstream comics fandom, uh, or you know, first indie comics fandom, which I think has already shifted. It's not. Yeah. Well, the you know, biggest line then, in SPX the last yeah. year we went was for Rebecca Sugar. Yeah, right. Of course, like right. that she's right. she she she's, is the Dan Clouds of this yeah, moment. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. She's the hero. She's a new hero. She's Dan. Yeah. She's 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 Robert she's Crumb for the '60s. She's Robert Crumb for the '60s. She's Dan Clouds for the '90s. Mm-hmm. But okay, so so so, but the the mainstream audience, like, I mean, you think about someone like like Mariko or Cena or um, people who are kind of like going into the mainstream, you know, and not, uh, you know, maybe coming out of any background or whatever. Like, so when do they stop getting harassed, or when do they, you know, when does that comic fandom actually, you know, I, shift over, or does it ever? Like, I, maybe that comic fandom just dies. I mean, maybe. Superhero comics die out eventually. I don't, know. I don't want to turn this into that kind of podcast, but yeah, I yeah. think very much <laughs> the current political climate is no. I mean, I don't. I don't want to bring it into the broader right, right. Like I don't want to make it into a broader discussion of politics, but I do think the current administration is empowering so much of that, and yeah. I think that if somebody can unseat him, mm-hmm. then That's, it. I I honestly do yeah, think no, it could right. go away overnight. That, that's exactly what I was thinking. I think, like, eventually, at some point, it's going to be, like, completely socially unacceptable mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. do that. Yeah. It's like, yeah. No, I'm sorry. You can't do that. Like, Cause, not, cause, not that, that that's, oh, that's so unsettling. It's just like, no, that's just shitty. Yeah. Nobody it's wants not, to hear you're that. You're not being There's edgy no or provocative. You're yeah. Just, you're just you're, a piece of shit. Yeah. When, you're when, just an when all that stuff becomes kind of, uh, when it's unseated, I think it will be kind of, I, I hope... And I tend to be an optimist, and my husband says I have a serotonin imbalance because I'm way too optimistic. Um, but um, if you could give me a serotonin yeah. like transfusion, I would fucking sit through a lecture about that. Fair Teach me how to cultivate a serotonin imbalance. <laughs> um, but uh, but I think once that's unseated, it will be seen as cult, right? Like oh shit, we our country was in the throes of a cult leader wannabe fascist dictator which is cult. it won't be cult. seen as cult it'll be recognized it'll be, yeah right it'll be recognized right exactly and, and that's exactly that'll what's and it, that's what it is it's, yeah. it's a cult a cult leader stuff right where yeah um and and it's backlash you know part of it was really backlash against barack obama and yeah. like having you know a person of color as a president and then maybe we just need to go through this weird 
backlash culty fascist phase, and then like we can you know really snap back once again. So I, you know, well, anyway. just snap back to being like just the, the just regular progressing in the to keep the to keeping this stuff under the rug. Yeah. To having just, it certainly be part of the very fiber of American history. <laughs> the quietly racist, not... homophobic, yeah. and oppressive culture that we've been for like 400 years. Yeah, I no, you know, I, 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 again, my optimism is coming up, but like, <laughs> but like, you know, I think about like what it means to be a queer person and how radically, I'm, I'm doing this, um, so the, the public art piece that I'm doing for San Francisco, these series of, of, of posters, is about uh, San Francisco queer history from 1955 to 1970. So they're kind of pre- leading up to Stonewall, leading up to yeah. the first Pride, and like, holy shit, the, the stuff that they had to go through. Like, I'm you know doing a piece right now about Jose Sadia, who's who is this drag queen, um, uh, hostess of the Black Cat Bar, which was like a Bohemian bar that Ginsburg and Kerouac and everyone used to hang out at. But, but um, uh, Sadia came in and started doing these like drag numbers and would do kind of Carmen and diff- different operas and set it in San Francisco, just amazing character. And then he would always kind of turned it more into a gay bar. And then he would have everybody join hands at the end and sing God, uh, God Bless Us Nellie Queens and to the, to the <laughs> sound of, like, uh, God, bless the, uh, God Bless the Queen. And, and, but this was in a time when it was fucking illegal to wear the, the clothing of, an, of the other sex. Yeah. And, like, if you touched another man, held hands with another man, or kissed another man, you'd be arrested for it. And 50, around 50 gay men were, you know, or you know, queer men were arrested every week in San Francisco and put in jail. There was a jail across the street from the bar, and Bitsario would march them outside, and they all hold hands and sing "God Bless Us, Nellie Queens" to the prison, knowing that they would they could be rounded up right there. I mean, like, mm-hmm. fuck, man, that's like that's intense. Like that is like art to, like against power, right? Yeah, that's that's, that's a super that's a genuine, it's, like yeah, that's on, on a level none I, of I can't even imagine, yeah. and that's not that long ago. No, not at all. So you no, know, they had all. no rights, and then and then Saria uh, ran for political office. He ran for for board supervisor in 1961, and basically, um, the Democrats were so terrified of him winning that they added 22 different uh, uh, candidates on the, the final day of the registration, and he he didn't win. He came in ninth, but he. he got almost 6,000 votes. Yeah. And that established for the first time in any city in the United States a gay voting bloc. And that changed everything. Politicians suddenly realized they couldn't just trample on queer people with no impunity, right? Yeah. Um, so Politicians realized they had much more insidious yeah. uh, agendas that they could push through <laughs> sure, if they sure, would sure, only sure. cultivate the gay vote. Sure, sure. And now we have neoliberalism. <laughs> sure, but you know, it's better than being locked up every week. Because yeah. Because you, you touched another man. Things have gotten better in a lot of ways, and like kind of like when you pull back a little bit, and kind of, you get away from yeah. like kind of like the the. You pull back a few hundred years and like. Well, it's not what I think about. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> like, you'd be a slave. I'd be like, you know, on a stake somewhere being burned. You, I don't know. Or a critically acclaimed poet. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> I'd be a slave. You'd be a southern playwright. Yeah. <laughs> Who's a confirmed bachelor. <laughs> With an ascot to die for. <laughs> and I would be, I guess, a butcher? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure. Um... But yeah, I don't know. In terms of the kind of I mean, the kind of work that's going to be important in comics, kind of moving forward. I mean, I think it does continue to to get more open, more kind of progressive. Um, I just wish people drew better. Yeah, that's kind of what it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I, I so how long? And I'm so wary of this this turning into like questions about specifically the comics industry. But how long before craft really dies? 
Well, uh, you're an old punk rocker. How could you possibly say that? That was the punk revolution. That anyone can like pick up a pick this up is, a, a guitar so this and is, do three. So th- this is the chords. fundamental. This is one of the f- the most fundamental conflicts of my life, where like yeah. my punk rock ethos mm-hmm. of like just a bunch of fucking bands with names like the Scrotum Poles can <laughs> pick up a bunch of fucking shitty broken instruments yeah. and make something that's really inspiring. But I like, am I? If I were to like transpose the values that dictate my musical taste mm-hmm. onto my taste in comics, am I just like a fucking Van Halen fan or something? Where I just want everything to be super yeah. technically well executed? Yeah, that's a danger, right? Because I'm, I, you know, I just moved and I'm like cleaning out my shelves and I'm, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm, there's things I threw away that I'm like, I mean, this is good, but it's fuck it. I'll say I threw, I, I trashed a bunch of my James Kochalka books. The man, the man himself, who predicted the death of craft yeah. in this in this medium, you know, um, and I got rid of a bunch of those. But I was like, well, I can't throw out my John Buscema Silver Surfers. These are yeah, fucking impeccably right. illustrated, yeah. you know. And is that the equivalent of being like, well, I don't fucking need these Ramones records, but I am gonna hold on to these Ingve Malmsteen CDs, <laughs> like. Um, but but okay, but a good writer. But but there but there was some but there was some there was some punk that was genuinely. Stripped yeah, and stripped down and into almost problems. deliberately like, inept. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, so, and that was an ethos. So tell me one of those bands that people still talk about. Because the, the bands that people still talk about are actually, for the most part, good musicians. Oh, that's a good point. Like, because like I'm trying to think I'm trying to think of like an, a movement where mm-hmm. craft actually died. And craft might get pushed a little to the side. Mm-hmm. And or craft might transform and like, you know, when photography came around. Mm-hmm. The need to render mm-hmm. went away mm-hmm. as much. It became right, less right, about right. that, but it never disappeared. There's still the Chuck closes in the world, mm-hmm. and they're also abstract expressionists, mm-hmm. and they're also like these other ways of doing things. So I don't think that craft disappears. Or it's, it's always a way, a place for like for for technical acuity. And then, and then craft becomes about other things, right? I mean, you can't necessarily see it when the impressionists first came out with their paintings. All the like painters, you know, from previous generations were like, "Holy shit, this is not craft at all. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, blobs of paint on the, you know, on the the on the canvas." And now we look at it and say, Monet actually was a master of craft as well as and expression. I'm, I'm never gonna say that about James Kachalka, just for the record. No. And I wasn't so like Diane DeMassa is the is the classic example for me. She did How Did Paisan, Homicidal Lesbian Terrorist. Oh yeah. Right. It's terrible work. Yeah, it's but very it, bad. it's so important because it hit this moment at where we needed an angry queer id just to come in and be like, I'm gonna fucking castrate everything in front of me and like and and so to this day there's a kind of like cult around her and deservedly so. It's amazing. It like broke through in a certain way, but it's not good. I mean, the craft is really <laughs> terrible. Yeah, and when you yeah. put it like that, it's interesting. I can't, I can't disavow her work, but still hold up early Evan Dorkin as, as, yeah. as like a formative and important <laughs> thing for me. You know, when you're just talking about it in terms of like rage and manifestations oh, of the yeah. end. Yeah. Like, I guess. So, so, so sometimes I think craft needs to bend, right, or shift uh, categories. You know, it has to. And but I agree with you for the most part to to make new work possible because mm-hmm. craft can get the. Obsession with crafting can start feeling calcified. It's straight jackets. Yeah, it starts getting calcified and kind of too rigid and, and then boring. And, um, so, you know, you need this moment that's kind of like a, a punk energy to come in and, like, break it apart a bit. Uh, but then in terms of what then survives historically down the road, 
Yeah, it's the people who create the new, the new rules of craft. Right? Yeah. Who's doing the new thing? But it's a cyclical thing. It happens with every generation. There yeah, is, yeah, there yeah, is yeah, a constant, yeah, yeah. like, the honing of the craft, the right. thing that comes in and right. explodes the conception right. of craft. Yeah. The what, museum what puts it back together in the wake of that and makes something new. And then generations after that, like, history sifts through it and, yeah. and is like, these were the masterpieces. Right. These were the unappreciated masterpieces at the time. Mm -hmm. These were the things that were appreciated at the time but we could look at now mm -hmm. and tear down yeah. Dark Knight. This <laughs> is... <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, so so, so so if that's the case and if Rebecca Sugar is now the, the new master of, of kind of craft and where things are going and, you know, undeniably Steven Universe is amazing. Like Steven Universe is great. Yeah, yeah. So, so what's coming next? I wonder what... So I think Rebecca Sugar and... Broadly, the Cartoon Network group of people, like I want to put Pendleton Ward and yeah, yeah, and, sure. and um, uh, honestly, a lot of the Adult Swim stuff. Yeah. Um, Jendi Tarkovsky. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's part of a different, mm -hmm. bigger tradition. He is. I mean, I could. Yeah, he's. A, that's that's an episode of a podcast unto itself. Like Tarkovsky and. Um, uh, the fucking Powerpuff Girls guy. Um, That's the same guy, right? No. Dexter's lab is... Anyway, we'll get back to this yeah, yeah. later. Cut all that out. <laughs> um, but the, 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 uh, I think all of that stuff, yeah. not yeah. Tarkovsky, um, is the culmination of a lot of the Fort Thunder uh, oh, aesthetic interesting, interesting. that was going on in the late '90s and early aughts. Interesting. Um, and, and so it, it channels through Lisa Hanawald, through um, through BoJack Horseman yes. stuff, right? Yeah, right. And yeah. and then when it settles, when all that kind of like frantic, you know, ADD like you know, methy like, all the like fucking like, your teeth headbanger high school students, no yeah. book doodles shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. God. And then when it settles, it kind of becomes. It becomes Adventure Time. Yeah. It becomes Steven Universe. That's really interesting. I hadn't thought of it that. And it's, I, I, know, I don't even know if like yeah. Pendleton Ward or Rebecca Sugar are aware of it. I'm sure they are on right. some level. Right. Um, Adventure Time in particular. It's too suffused right. into the aesthetic of that show. Yeah. Like yeah. I, uh, I, the, the Matt Brinkman stuff. Is yeah. So yeah, sure. like the, the similarities are so, yeah. so apparent. Yeah. But Mark Bell. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God, Mark Bell. Huh. Um, but I think that um, that is that is how lengthy and subtle and multi generational a process mm -hmm. that is. Yeah, right? like the influences of previous generations, the transgressive artists, the transgressive aesthetics from previous generations become the mainstream aesthetic. Of and 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 Fort Thunder was the punk energy breaking at the '90s, breaking at Dan Clouds and yeah, the Fort Thunder was Fort Thunder was the punk energy attacking yeah. the like Fantagraphics yeah. and D and Q old guard yeah. of the '90s. Yeah, for sure, that's exactly what it was. That's really and, interesting. And as such, made that yeah, with um, Chippendale mm -hmm. and yeah, all that shit. Go, yeah. um, made it made that more accessible to people who like the need to assert identity, mm -hmm. like the need to assert your identity through art. Mm -hmm. I think kind of by necessity creates a more urgent and less refined product. Yes. You know? As it should. A right. yeah. I mean A yeah. you're creating under under duress. Right. Like you're creating in the in the midst of yeah. a society that fundamentally rejects you. Yeah, yeah sure. And 
you know, you don't know how much time you have. Mm-hmm. And B, it's just urgent. from within, it's mm-hmm. this urgent need, like, mm-hmm. oh, you finally found mm-hmm. an outlet for this secret part of yourself that yeah. you've had to keep, you've had to keep under wraps. Absolutely. So I think that that aesthetic, mm-hmm. the aesthetic of those Fort Thunder creators was a lot more accessible for somebody who wanted to make that kind of work yeah. than somebody say, I mean, fucking Stuck Rubber Baby is amazing, but that shit took a long time. And oh. if you really need to get something out yeah. right away about right. your sexuality right. and your identity, right. 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 like you can't make a stuck rubber baby, right. you make a hothead paisan. Right. Right.